Now, the big bomb was no Olympics. That was hard. There were some tears shed around that for people. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Okay, I was really, really doing well, but we've changed a little element that we do and we're recording. So now before we start, we actually hear our intro, which we didn't used to do. And now when I hear them say ready, I get really nervous. <laughs> like, oh my. So it's like now I totally get that moment of panic right before the race starts yeah the channel channel some calm i know i i need some breathing techniques and i might need a sports psychologist well good thing we have one on the show today see what i did there (laughs) i gave you a segue (laughs) the nerves paid off i guess i do well with adrenaline Yes, we are so excited to welcome back our sports psychologist, Dr. Kristen Keim. We wanted to check in with her because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So Kristen came back on the show to talk to us about mental health and well-being during the time of COVID for athletes and for us. Take a listen. So Kristen, we wanted to check in with you and see what's happening in a pandemic with your athletes, mm-hmm. what are they telling you they're mm-hmm. going through and, and what are you telling them about handling it? Yeah, well, obviously it was kind of just a cannonball. A lot of my clients had literally just, like they were, they had been doing some competitions, but they were more just training competitions in like January and February. And I worked with everyone from just people that want to have healthier coping mechanisms and achieve their own personal, just workout, fitness, performance, whatever goals to, you know, people that actually had already qualified for Tokyo Olympics and we're, um, we're, you know, we're all planning to, you know, head to Tokyo. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of was a not, you know, it was at that stage where you just didn't think it was going to be that bad. I mean, you kind of heard about the thing in China and then, oh, there's someone in the U.S. And I actually had clients that were competing. And then when it kind of realized, you know, like, boom, this is this is legit. Like, this is something we should be taking serious. I am first and foremost a medical lens. So your physical and mental well-being is my first priority. I could care less about you winning a bike race or something <laughs> um, if it's at the stake of your personal or other people, you know, in general. So it was really hard actually for me as a, a, you know, with this title of a sports psychologist, because I had some athletes still competing when we got the idea that, you know, hey, we, we need to be like possibly social distancing, right? Like we as humans shouldn't probably be contact, you know, and things in New York started to kind of flare up in Washington. And I had some athletes actually racing in California at the time. And um, some had decided not to travel. They kind of got it. They, you know, were just sort of like, whoa, like this is serious and I'm not gonna, I'm not traveling. And then unfortunately some had already gotten there. You know, they were like literally there and the next day was a race. So for me, it was a struggle because how I looked at it, and this might be something of interest to talk about too, was, it's the same thing if if anything was going to happen, like really bad weather. Maybe there's like a tornado or something coming through possibly. And the race promoters didn't cancel the race. Because I think it, it's obviously I'd, I'd hope as a human being that an athlete would choose not to race. But also when you have worked this hard and you're already there and you got the number and you got, I mean, and they're going to go on with it, uh, you know, that's your job to compete. And I think it's a, it was a really hard struggle for many of my clients to decide whether early on to even keep racing, competing because their events hadn't been canceled. And so that was something where 
I supported them. I didn't want to like make them choose. I obviously brought up the medical kind of realities of just like, Hey, like I can't not talk about these things, but I'm going to help you because that's my job to help you. And so perhaps we look at this race in a different way versus just the performance. Like maybe this is the last time you're going to compete in months and now maybe a year, <laughs> but at the time, you know, we just thought maybe it'd be something that like, okay, we're not going to race for a month or two. So that was a really hard and unique time for everyone, even myself, just as a, you know, so on, you know, quote, performance psychologist. How are you telling your athletes to deal with the uncertainty? Because a lot of parts of competing are very certain. You know what your mm-hmm. routines are. You know what you need to mm-hmm. do to prepare. You know the dates of things. And now we don't know anything. Wow, that's been the biggest hurdle. And, you know, my athletes are all over the page. I mean, usually I have a little bit of certainty where it's like, all right, I have this client. This is this race. And by now, many of these races, even if I, when I was competing, hadn't done that race, I feel like after, you know, 11 years of being a sports psychologist with a lot of the high-performing endurance sports, especially road cycling, mountain biking events, triathlon events that would be going to Tokyo. I felt like I know these races. And so I kind of have some certainty, even how I would help that person, if that makes sense. So, you know, I had to first face my own biases and assumptions of uncertainty of just, okay, whoa, like this is, I, I have to go into this with a different lens of how do I help this human first? And I always kind of go that way, but I really had to look at, you know, this person's going to be facing something new that I have never maybe faced with this person. And a lot of it was the moral piece of just like, you know, again, going kind of back to early on of just like deciding, okay, Hey, even if they have events, I'm not competing anymore. And luckily I would say, I think 99.9 of my clients are pretty on board pretty fast because they're just smart, healthy human beings who don't want to get sick and don't want to get their parents sick who might be over 65 or, you know, some of them actually still compete and have, you know, underlying health complications and that, that are, you know, they're able to, you know, use medications or whatever. But what came up for a lot of people was that piece was their anxieties of kind of that lens that every athlete to be a high performing athlete, especially at the Olympic level, you're going to be dancing on that line of a little bit of what I don't want to like underlie that the serious implications of being OCD. That's kind of what we call it. Just type A. Yeah. You're even the people that try to be, I'm so cool and laid back. BS. <laughs> you're not going laid back if you're going to be an Olympian. Like it's just, you're putting up a front because you're going to be, you know, very detail oriented very, you know, used to a routine. And then this just rocks your world because now you might be quarantined, stuck at your parents' house in a place where they have no mountain biking, no road cycling, you know, you're trapped inside in California, you're on house arrest or whatever. Right. So, I mean, it's to the people that are in Spain, right. Who I have clients who didn't have a trainer, didn't have any way, and they literally cannot leave their house for months. So, you know, it was really just bouncing around from one call to the other of having someone who's going to be in this 100% unique situation. And I think the commonality was to just sit with that person and help them figure out what areas can they be working on now that they're still in control of. So even though you're, we all have things that were out of our control, there's always these things. And a lot of it was just coming back to the mindfulness practice that I try to instill in all my clients of uh, being present. Because the minute we go forward, it's anxiety. And the minute we go backwards, it's depression. And so we're all kind of on that string, <laughs> like a string of pearls, right? And so I think it's, it was just really important for people to ground themselves in the present and, you know, make lemonade out of, um, you know, out of lemons basically. And I think it can be a time where really good things happen too. And honestly, at even, you know, eight weeks later, there's been a lot of good. I mean, a lot of people have really turned, I, I've seen a lot of growth in my athletes that I, they would not have 
achieved if they had just been going forward in the trajectory of the Olympic Games happening. Now, the big bomb was no Olympics. That was hard. There were some tears shed around that for people. But then again, that's out of their control. And so all you can do as an athlete or anyone really is just say, hey, I'm alive. I'm healthy. You know, just those daily gratitude. So gratitude journals, things that they're grateful for, maybe getting in touch with like the artistic side. So a lot of my athletes are very musical and artistic. And so now they have time to do that. You know, they're not racing. And so some of those things have been the common denominators of just finding these other pieces that you're not just an athlete and allowing them to touch those places and to go there and to, and to have time and to, you know, work on communication with their boyfriend that typically they never see because they're always competing. Right. Or something like that. Like they're now trapped with this guy or girl, you know, that they love, but they have never really spent this much time on the the roof together. And, you know, now maybe we're working on the relationship. Uh, So it's been a really challenging, but also beautiful time. And I'm very honored to, be able to help people through this process, they would uh, give me this time to do that. Because I've, I've, I've grown too, as a, not just a therapist, but as a, as a person too, to be on this journey with a lot of these athletes. There were a few tears here about the Olympic mm-hmm. delay. So I don't think it was oh, just the too. athletes that had, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was rough. <laughs> so I have a million questions that I can think of, but the first thing that mm-hmm. comes to mind is more of the issue with the athletes a lack of motivation or in terms of keeping in shape and keeping training or Mm -hmm. lack of opportunity to be able to Mm. do that. So they're very frustrated. Luckily, most of the people have the opportunity. Um, uh, You know, that's, that's a good thing. So, you know, that's definitely something most, I would say most of my top level Olympic athletes actually do have at least by now, the capacity to train outside. It may not be perfectly ideal um, because, you know, they don't have any training partners or or now they've been able to do the quarantine and and bring maybe their dad into because, you know, they were, you know, so everyone's been very safe and social distanced and, you know, wearing masks when appropriate. And I am a stickler on, you know, reminding them, especially on social media, I try to do that. So, you know, the motivation piece has been only for a few people where it's just they're burned out a little bit by the idea that maybe they were on this journey and this was going to be the year that they retired. Do you see that? So I think some of them just feel a little bit more overwhelmed. Like, why why is it worth doing this anymore? Like, games are canceled probably or I, you know, do I have the energy to keep? So that's been a, more of the people that might be a little bit more burned out and not be motivated was just by, you know, this not only was it about the Olympics, but they weren't going to go on and race after it. So now it's kind of like, well, why? Like, why? Because I don't want to keep putting off my life and the, you know, going back to school and, you know, doing these other things that you have to sacrifice when you're trying to live the Olympic dream. Um, and so those people, but, you know, I've had some decide that, you know, Hey, I, I can go forward with those things now. And now, you know, it's kind of a gap year to not train harder because that leads to burnout. I actually have had a lot of athletes where I have to kind of hold them back and say, hey, 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 you know, you don't need to be super fit like you're going to Tokyo right now because then you're going to be burned out if and when the games do happen in 2021, hopefully, fingers crossed. But just because, again, like I told y'all, and, you know, this wasn't maybe on the audio, but everyone has stress, even if you're in denial that you have stress. Because, again, that certainty piece, you know, you're not, every day is a little bit of a frustration to some degree because maybe it's the exact same road that you've been riding your intervals or your training rides and like you're burned out from that, right? Or you're having to do everything by yourself or you're stuck inside and you haven't been able to go outside and, and you're a professional runner. 
<laughs> and you don't have, you know, and for some reason, yeah, you don't have a treadmill in your house or, you know, I mean, that. so those, those things lead to more of the not motivated because the repetition and, you know, even though they like routines, it's just become so repetitive that, that it just burns their stuff out. But also, you know, you can burn your muscles and your body out if you don't allow proper rest. And I think right now, yeah, there are going to be people typically not my clients because I think I've helped them understand the how much mental fatigue impacts negatively our bodies and I think so a lot of them are really now using this time to like I mean they're like professional recoverers now because <laughs> now they're like yeah I can do everything perfect that maybe they couldn't do because you know you just can go out and do a lot more, right? So now they've just kind of walled and going to the woods where it's just like everything is just in within this one kind of uh, bubble and you got to make the most of it. And the most of it is not training harder. It's resting harder, recover harder. Do you think some of these athletes will actually do the transition to not athletics better that they've had this sort of trial run of not competing? It's fascinating because that definitely was something that came up for me, even just personally, where I was like, that's that conversation for the athletes that were already thinking about transitioning out. Because I hate that word retirement because a lot of these athletes now can still compete to some level. You know, if you're a cyclist and, you know, maybe you're in your mid-30s and, you know, you were supposed to go to Olympics or want to still try to get Olympics – it's not like you can't race your bike again um, once you know the, the, it opens up, hope, hopefully, in America. You're just not trying to do Olympic-level racing, which is different. Not better, just different. And, again, takes a lot more energy and time and sacrifice. It just does. Like, that's just a no-brainer. And so, you know, I think now if they weren't able to ride their bike or race their bike, I hope they have more of an appreciation with a different lens but yes, now they kind of understand what that transition is going to kind of look like and that it's not going to be that bad. It's not that hard. Uh, I do believe in that. And I actually have talked to them about that. I also think just as everyone, as a side note, um, and definitely in the community of rare disease and chronic pain and disabled people, I hope as, a, as universally as humankind across the world globally, now we can understand what it's like for some people that that's their daily life. They can't leave their house. They can't go outside. They can't, you know, just go to the grocery store. And I think we just, a lot of those things we took for granted. So I hope that everyone can just be grateful for the things that we can do and then honor and respect that, you know, that'll be a transition for us all wherever we live globally, um, state by state in America. I hope that people just don't take that for granted that like, wow, now, I, you know, I can go to a restaurant, you know, eight feet of feet away of seating or whatever to that capacity if you feel safe and inclined I myself will have my hair out to, down to my feet because I will not be going to a salon <laughs> but you know so for everyone everyone has is their choice I think it's not just you know and all my all my clients aren't just Olympians so I hope that you know again it's just that more of that appreciation gratitude for their sport and you know some people their sport it's fascinating because some people really just beautifully move out of their transition because I think for me, the people that really are able to transition out of sport a little easier and maybe don't have the depression and the identity as much was because they kind of checked out a long time ago or they already, you know, owned a cafe or had already kind of done some of these things to understand like, hey, I'm not just this athlete. I do have these other strengths and qualities that give me meaning and purpose. The meaning and purpose piece is the biggest thing, though, is that they, you know, hopefully now they can find other things that give them meaning and purpose, whether it's working on a book now. And that these are all things I'm working on with clients. It's like if you had a gap year of things that you could work on physically or just other identities, what would those be? And that's like a fun list that we created weeks ago. Have you had any athletes get sick? I have had one athlete early on because they live, you know, in that New York where her parent, her dad actually got it. And um, she thinks she got it. She never, she, her dad got tested and he was positive. 
she herself never went out. It was just way too challenging to get tested. And she got better, and she's confined within her family, just her dad, her brother, sister, you know, and all that. Uh, and, uh, you know, every time I check in with her, we're, we're checking in about her symptoms or if anyone's been sick. And, you know, um, she did go ahead and do a self-quarantine just in case, you know, when she was sick, they took it, you know, the protocol very to heart. But luckily, no. I mean, and I talk to hundreds of people still and it's um, I'm very, I'm, yeah, you know, that's I'm so glad I haven't had to deal with anyone yet. But like I said, all my clients are taking it very serious and, and, you know, a lot of athletes still are kind of are introverted. So, you know, in some degrees, they're kind of used to loners doing their own thing, you know? So um, I think they kind of got it and were quick to just be like, you know, I'm going to take this serious. Cause I mean, again, like we don't know what this could do and this could end your career as an athlete possibly if you got this virus. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was thinking in terms of, is there an excessive fear from them? Because obviously if they get very sick, that could be the end of their career. Uh, I'd like to have a, I I try, I try, I think I'm the only one in their bubble that probably instills the fear a little bit more. (laughs) I still think there's a little bit of that invincibility piece, you know, because they're so healthy and I just always drop that bomb that like this virus doesn't care who you are, you know, and now we know it doesn't care if you're a child. Right. And we don't know, uh, you know, we don't know, we don't know anything about it. And so I think there's some people I've had a few that, you know, got the severity and had some panic attacks in the parking lot because, you know, they were about to go in. I mean, I myself had a panic attack when I tried to go out and I haven't gone out since, you know, to go get something that, I was just like, I want to, you know, see what it's like for myself, put myself out in that climate. And I have uh, autoimmune and rare disease that might, was that smart? I don't know, probably not. But I kind of just, I felt like in my line of work, I wanted to just put myself in an environment that was as safe as as I could do. I do have to leave and go to doctor's offices. I actually had surgery (laughs) a few weeks ago. So, I mean, I've had to be out in it and, um, you know, and I just tell everyone, uh, you know, like, hey, I've been there. I had a panic attack. Like, I get it. It's hard. And we're going to get through it. And, you know, you got to get groceries. You know, I, I don't, we don't live somewhere where you can get fresh market just brought to you or groceries brought to you. So there's a designated person in my family. So we've just, I've, I've helped them figure out like ways to have designated people in their families that do it. If they do live in the area where they can have their groceries brought to them, um, that's awesome. But again, just like making sure you clean your groceries, and, you know, just taking those precautions. But yeah, definitely some panic attacks for sure. And, you know, people that maybe never had a panic attack and they just were like, whoa, like this really you know, hit me or they're in the restaurant, I mean, in the grocery store and someone bumps into them or, you know, doesn't, isn't wearing a mask and gets close to them. And so we've been able to have those discussions about how scary that was. So that was early on. I think right now, a lot of people are kind of maybe getting a little too used to it. And so that's my only fear is that we just um, start to, you know, lacking up a little bit because we've been in the grocery store so many times and haven't gotten sick right it's like no 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 like this is our reality for to say like you know again the idea that you have the virus so when you go out in the the face like you act like you had the virus or something you know and so just like you don't want to get anyone else and infected so you know make sure that you just take those precautions and make sure you watch the arrow lines down whole foods That, that was a funny encounter i had was just I mean, for me, it's like a social experiment. I wish I could just sit there and watch people in the grocery stores as a psychologist. It's fascinating. (laughs) I'm just like how people react. And I mean, unfortunately, some people, it's been, I mean, you know, people, yeah, I mean, obviously we all watch the news to some degree and just um, some people have, you know, it's going to bring out the, either brings out the worst or the best in people when we're faced with tragedies and, and traumas like this, because like I said, like a lot of us are going to have PTSD to some degree on the other side of this, because like we said, like, we just don't know what the textbooks are going to look like in 20 years about how this evolves. Yeah. I got sworn at, at the grocery store. Cause I leaned too close over the strawberries. Cause you just, you forget for a second, you know, I just. Uh, exactly. Oh God. I, yes, I do too. 
I mean, I, yes, exactly. Yeah. God. Uh, I, I'm wondering for the athletes if there's just that moment when they're training and they forget and then it comes back to them and then they sort of grieve all over again. Is there that, that cycle for them? Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 They get, you know, Oh, it's great. I'm training. I've got my dad or, you know, someone with me now. And then, you know, it's just like, they, they get hauled, they, you know, do everything. And then it's like, Oh my God, today would have been that race. That's been the hard part is the trauma that's happening of like, Oh my God, I would have been doing this race. And so depending on the athlete and where they're at in their journey, you know, whether you're an Olympian who's in their early 20s or an Olympian who's in their late 30s, those people are going to need different training mythologies even now where the athlete who's younger might still need to do some hard workouts and volume, but the athlete that's in like their 30s doesn't need that or that's just like frying the kettle, right? I mean, it's just like, it's just going to burn everything out. So, you know, what is those 1%? And I think that's been something that I've been talking about the last few years. And I think that that's going to be my, my platform right now is everyone, even if you're not an athlete, what are those 1% in your life that if you were given this gap year without injury or sickness or tragedy in your life to just work on something? And usually, you know, the coaches and the athletes can come up with something physical then we work on something mental, right? And then maybe something with like their interpersonal relationship with themselves. Because when we're busy, it's we're all about doing these other external things. And now's the time to do the deep work. Like now's the time to look back and say, I took full positive advantage of this time to work on myself in some way in capacity. Even if you're, you know, trapped in a house with 10 kids, there's still this time to work on yourself in a new way of how do you, the nuances of that or how, how, or being a parent and how that's different now and not taking that for granted that the idea that like you get to be with, you know, these people in your life in this moment. And it's not, you know, it might be heavy. It might be scary. Um, all these emotions come up and that's okay. I think right now it's, you know, allowing yourself to feel the rainbow of emotions that any human can feel and process them a little bit. If you can journal, reflective practices are good and grieving. You know, I did something on uh, my social media about the stages of grief. And I think that's what we're all going through all the way from like a fifth grader, you know, to an Olympian um, because, you know, like they don't get to see their friends. They don't get to see their favorite teacher. They don't, and I think that that's okay and talking about it and talking about it with people and reaching out and doing the Zoom. I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yes, you know, cliches now and memes. But I'm like, but it's real. And, you know, some of these people are able to connect and, and athletes. Oh, my gosh, these are your competitors. And now maybe you're becoming best friends through this, which I think is like beautiful. I mean, I, you know you become a better person by being raised up by someone you're inspired. And there's no one that could ever inspire you more than your own competitor. Because like, that's what you want to do. You want your competitor to inspire you to be a better version of yourself, not to beat them. You know, the minute you want to do better for the sake of beating versus like being a better version of yourself, it becomes too external. And so this is a time for athletes to just like, unite and give back and you know team usa has been doing some great things with you know supporting different uh, charities with athletes i've i've had fun following them uh, different sports and i think you know yeah and some of my athletes have actually you know since they're already going to tokyo they, they're part of that team usa thing which has been really cool because you know i'm like oh my gosh you know because you get to see these athletes in a different way. Usually, like, the build-up to the Olympics is very stressful and not really that fun, just I'll be honest with you. So now I feel like they're going to be better equipped for when the Olympics happen and that process. Because, like, now they're just going to have, like, gratitude as a superpower. Like, I don't care about where they want me to go as long as the games are happening. <laughs> right, so there is that little niggling concern 
that they're not going to happen at all. Yeah, I I'm know, a realist. I'm sorry, <laughs> I hate to even yeah. say it, but it it is. Oh, I say it. You gotta say it because, like, yeah. you gotta say it because there's gotta be a part of you that's equipped for that too. So, what are you telling your people when they bring that up? Some are, de- you know, some coaches. I mean, I have some coaches that are like training athletes to race in August, and I'm just like, okay, what planet is that coach on? Which I think is fine. Again, you know, again, it goes back to you can still be doing good work and training, but it's got to be intentional for the idea that the Olympics are happening next year. Because even if they don't, just because there's not competitions in the way that the Olympics happen, I do believe we're going to get to some form of competition. It's just going to look drastically different. And that's where we need to be prepared for is that you're, you may, it may just be like time trial more, you know, it just, racing is going to look different. And I think that's going to be the hardest thing is figuring out the coping mechanisms for like the sport that you're, that you love. Isn't really like the sport, like it used to be. And that might work for some athletes and some athletes that may not, it just may not be like, it's like, Hey, I just like this, is this worth it anymore? I don't really enjoy this platform or how this, you know, how they're going to have to do racing because this is why I love the race. Right. So, you know, I definitely am an optimist in the lens that it's okay to dream and hope and have a positive mindset that the Olympics are going to happen. That being said, they're going to look drastically different than any other Olympics. I mean, you know, it will be probably just, yeah, this is the challenge. And this is the realest piece. You can't have Olympics unless athletes have qualified. So right now there would be no Olympics. You can't have the Olympics because half the sports don't even have the qualifications for their countries. So then that's a whole nother drama is that do the federations just pick people? <laughs> Which um, that's not going to be pretty because that's all very political, right? Um, so, I mean, even like this, a lot of sports that I work with my clients, some of them still haven't qualified because the event that was their qualification event can't happen. And I don't know when it will happen because it was in a, a country that is still in lockdown or something right now, you know? So I think that's the hardest piece that I am a realist where I'm just like, well, how do you have the Olympics without the country's having qualifications even. And where, when is that going to happen? Um, and does that just keep pushing it out? And maybe it does, you know, and, you know, but I think that's going to be really hard for Japan, you know, to keep doing that economically, you know, too. So I think it's okay to have the goal because again, you're still growing as an athlete and you still um, will have hopefully some form of competition. So it's okay to train and have that, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it's just a realistic idea that, that yeah there may not be and how how do you fit into the idea of again allowing there to have be hope and to still train for it but then when that comes up you again that's future thinking which is anxiety and you can't control it so you know you just gotta put that on the side table and just focus on what is in your power right now that you and your coach and you know your your village of people are working on to make you help you be a better version of yourself and athlete i just got you have a cycling background and i just got an image of a socially distant peloton in my brain (laughs) (laughs) which is impossible right like like they they came up with some date for the tour de france and, and I mean, I think, you know, we're all laughing at it because we're gonna, like, there's going to be because, you know, there's so many countries where a lot of the athletes that actually would be the athletes that would race in it have not been outside for like a month, two months. And then there's going to be athletes that have been able to train outside and, you know, have been making like really good gains and, you know, life is kind of perfect almost in their, their reality. So there's going to be like a peloton at one speed. You know, and then the Peloton at the other. So it's going to be like the people that could train outside and then the people that have been in lockdown for two, you know, for four months or whatever, right? I mean, so how do you have that right there, right? Because everyone, again, in a perfect world before this, maybe you didn't have the most ideal training situation compared to someone else, but for you, it was ideal. Does that make sense? So that was the fairness, right? So, I mean, yeah, and then there's always cheaters. I mean, there's always, 
doping and all this other stuff that you can't, it's out of your control. But this is a blatant, like, this is not fair. I mean, there would have to be months for them to be able to say, all right, everyone's been able to train outside globally, and now we can have this big event. So I, yeah, it blows my mind because I just, I think big and, you know, and maybe I overthink things a little bit, but I was just like, how would that work? Right. And I, I, exactly that right there. Now, some sports like mountain biking, you could do time trial. Like you have a course and people just like go one individually and whoever goes the fastest and that like loop. Right. I mean, that's one way you might could do it, which is I don't know. I have a lot of clients where that just may be like they, they hate time trialing. Right. So, I mean, it's like that's their worst nightmare. They like they have to have competitors. That's why they race. Right. So it'll be interesting. Um, but again, Right now, there's still no competition. So we just have to take it one day at a time. Yeah, socially distant wrestling. How is that? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, think of all sports where you have human contact. It's like the sport. Yeah. So, and, I mean, and team sports is a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, do y'all become like this one like squad where you're all – quarantine yourself for 14 days and then come together and then it's like all right where well, this is our people right i mean then how do you keep monitor that because everyone's going to be going to different places you know then you, if you have you're like now it's like wow now y'all all have to live together and let me tell you that would probably not be good for team cohesion to be like quarantined with your team <laughs> for indefinite time or something right so it's like yeah i don't yeah i don't know swimming I guess How are you going to like redrain yeah, the pool and like, yeah. you know, drain the pool and then pull the water back in? I mean, I don't know. Like, how are you going to do that? Everybody gets in their own little, we build, you know, eight pools. Right. And then it's just a time trial. <laughs> All eight feet apart. Yep. Exactly. Oh. So we talked about a little with the, the grieving different things. So come July, even for our listeners who aren't going to compete but they may be going to have planned to go to Tokyo or have had to cancel their plans to go to Tokyo because they can't go next year or are just Mm -hmm. sad that the Olympics isn't happening what what kind of advice do you have for them you know I think it's just again going back to that it's okay to grieve it's okay to be like whoa like this was something I really you know look forward to but again I think it's a time to look at like you're never going to be your best if that was your only goal. So to become the best at like something where you want to go and you want to show up and not just participate in the Olympics, but you want to compete for a medal at the Olympics, which is what is what I try to, you know, help all my clients do. So maybe, you know, maybe this is like the universe saying that Paris is like the one that you really need to focus on, especially if they're like a younger athlete, you know? So that's something, you know, that um, if any athletes are out there that, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to change up your, your dream and focus on, hey, I'm just now going to like spend time with my family and go on hikes and, you know, just maybe not train. Um, maybe, you know, your mind and your body have been burned out and overtrained and you probably might not have had a really good Olympic experience. And maybe in the back of your mind, it's saying that. And so now's the time to just rest and take a break from your sport might need to take a little social media detox. So there's not that comparison of the athletes that are like training, like, you know, the Olympics are happening tomorrow still, which is a big trigger. <laughs> it's like comparison is the thief of all joy is of like, you know, Socrates or something. I mean, it's, you know, that quote's been around for like since human beings have been alive. So uh, it, it still is the biggest trigger for hundred percent. All my athletes. It's like, oh, I'm not doing good. I'm like, and how much time are you spending on social media? And who are you comparing yourself to? And they're like, oh, you caught me. I'm like, yeah, like that's, it's going to be the number one. So taking time away from social media and then, you know, it's okay to also just enjoy the, what the Olympics is about. So maybe you go back to what do the rings mean? What did the, what are the Olympics about? And how would going to the Olympics give me meaning and purpose and maybe there has been a disconnect with that i've really enjoyed the olympic channel because like oh my gosh i can remember i can remember like what i was wearing when i when i saw the carrie strug like you know dream team uh, you know girl uh, the gymnastic team right Um, and i was a dancer oh yeah yes i was a dancer then so you know i felt like you know 
connection with uh, gymnast, even just having been, a, I was a ballerina at the time. So uh, it was, yeah, I mean, watching that, my favorite Olympian to this day is still Michelle Kwan. And so she's been sharing a lot of like her old Olympic dreams and some beautiful thoughts about like what it means and to, you know, and to also, she never got that gold. She had, she actually had, a, you know, retired without ever getting gold, even though most people would have thought she probably won. Like if you just, you know, someone who didn't really know her and didn't follow her, they would have thought she gotten gold. It's like, oh yeah, Michelle Kwan, you know, everyone knows that name. And, you know, for her, it's actually been not any of those medals, but like the good that she's been able to do with the Special Olympics. And she's talked about that. And um, and so I think that's it. It's just maybe connecting with a different sport, um, some other athletes outside of your sport that are also going through this and maybe having like a group support with that, I think was really awesome and beautiful. And some of my athletes have done that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's okay to grieve, but it's also a really good time to just kind of figure out what does the Olympics mean in a broader sense to your journey? Thank you so much, Kristen. You can follow Dr. Kime on social at the K2. It's the number two. That's on Twitter and Insta. Her website is kimeperformanceconsulting.com. And it's also on Facebook as Kime Performance Consulting. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. Now, A, it was great to have Kristen back on again. Yes. I mean... It's like getting a free session of therapy. Don't tell her, though. Don't tell her. I feel like we should write her a check. <laughs> Send her our insurance information. Because <laughs> clearly, you know, it's funny that May is Mental Health Awareness Month because we are so aware of our mental health right now. Yes, and but that's a good thing, I think. Yes. I'm very curious to f- see what happens in July when the Olympics are supposed to start and how we'll feel. I I wondered about that while I was editing her interview and I kept thinking like, I I can't anticipate what's what I'll think, but will it hit you funny? Will it not? Will you be sad? Will you be just another day? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I have a little bit of feeling this because days have happened because I think I've said this on the show before my daughter's a senior in high school. So we've hit, you know, the day that was supposed to be her prom, the day that was supposed to be her last day of school. Haven't hit graduation day yet, but just, they have just kind of gone by and I'll look in my calendar and a lot of them are still popping up because I didn't delete them. And I'm like, oh, it was supposed to be prom day. Oh, it's raining. Good thing it didn't happen. So I think because it's not a last minute thing, we've got a long time knowing that the date was not going to be July. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be okay because we, we're looking toward when it will happen. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, looking toward something else will be, I think, helpful. Right. I think what's much more stressful, and we, we did talk about this with Kristen, is the uncertainty of everything right now. More than the missing out on things, if we were missing out, but we knew it was going to end on July 14th and we were going to go back to normal. But we don't. And that's really hard. Yeah, that's hard. So we hope you are doing all right out there and uh, hope that Kristen's uh, interview helped you as well. Cause it, it helped us. Oh, yeah, that's We sure. had a great time. <laughs> so we hope it definitely helped you. Next week is going to be another lightning round episode, but this time it will be curated by you. We have uh, six choices of lightning round Uh, candidates up in our Facebook group and the top three vote getters will be on next week's show. So go to our Facebook group, keep the flame alive podcast and vote by Tuesday, May 26th at midnight Eastern time. And we need votes because there's a lot of ties going on and we need some tiebreakers. Wasn't there a sport that didn't used to have tiebreakers that we were just talking about last week? Yes, it was a listener. Meredith had posted something on Twitter about a shooter who took second place. Right. At 1976, because of uh, there was a tie and there was no shoot-off. That was part of the rules. There should always be a shoot-off. So now, now that's definitely going on the list. All right. Speaking of somebody we can add to our team, let's check in with Team Keep the Flame Alive. I don't think I can pronounce this new acronym. Tefla. We're taking a trip to Teflakistan. Or Teflistan. Tickfulstan. I think I want to make that an I, like Tickfulstan. Tick- but it should be an E, so it should be Tickfulstan. Like a schwa sound? Like Tickfulstan? Tickfulstan? 
I know. And I'm sure if you're in the Facebook group going, wait, we gave her ideas. What are they <laughs> doing? And I am totally enamored with the idea of the land of Taklistan and our Taklistanis. <laughs> it is there are so many possibilities with that. And you know, I know, we texted, I texted this to you. You know that the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant have announced a wrestling match in Taklastan. You know that's happened. Well, maybe that's what we need. Uh, Jason, my my beautiful dulcet tones, I need to figure out how to pronounce this. Call us 208-FLAME-IT. Because I would need to hear him say it, and then I'll get it. <laughs> and then I can just yell at the people, no, no. Why would you say yet? Yet? No. Remember, Jason told us that story that when oh, the people don't right. speak English very well, they just yell "no, no" and wag a finger. I can do that job. <laughs> I'm a mother. I can do that job. Okay, so let's go off to Tiflistan since we can't go anywhere else. <laughs> it's, nice. it's a beautiful place. There are lovely people there, much like Terry Hedgepith, our archivist, celebrated her last day at the USOPC along with. 33 co-workers who were, took uh, buyouts. Uh, she worked there for eight years as the archivist and curator of collections, and then she was the director of archives. On her last day, the third virtual exhibit was launched from the archives. That was the final installment honoring the donation of Olympic prize medals, Olympic torches, and participation medals by Gordy Crawford. And there is going to be a fourth exhibit honoring the 1980 U.S. Olympic team in the near future. So that will be Excellent. something to look for. So congratulations, Terry, on a good career there. And uh, we look forward to maybe we can get her back on the show. Well, she'll have time now. <laughs> Our figure skating analyst, Jackie Wong, was on Jeopardy on May 19th. That was very excited. Twitter, like, blew up. They all wanted to see him. The poor thing looked so nervous. I was cheering for him, but he looked very nervous, which is so funny because when we spoke to him, he was so relaxed and so, like, his demeanor on his own show is so calm and relaxed, and there he was definitely not in his element, which was great. I guess we're no Alex Trebek. I guess we don't instill that kind of fear in people. But you can see highlights uh, at, at Rocker Skating on social and congratulations, Jackie. Hey, getting on the show is amazing in the first it's place. It's no joke. Yeah. I wouldn't try. I'd embarrass us. <laughs> We'd reflect badly. Our ice hockey skater, Brianna Decker, got a dog. Who's the cutest thing ever? Oh, my God. You all have to go check out Brianna Decker's Instagram for all these pictures of this little black puppy with the white paws and the little white tip on his tail. I'm a little obsessed. Sorry. John Schuster has written the foreword to a new book called Juicing with Kids, Juicing Food and Fun in the Kitchen, which is by his cousin, Tracy Sloan, and it is available on Kindle. We will have a link to that in the show notes. And Team Schuster. Yeah, on NBC's The Voice show, and uh, it, it looks like it was their Olympics crossover edition because NBC does a lot of Olympic crossover shows. I think this week might be Top Chef. Yes, Yes, I saw that posted. So all of the voice judges did different Olympic sports. So the, uh, Blake Shelton went curling with Team Schuster. They had a clip online. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, let's move on to some Tokyo 2020 news. So the Associated Press reported that the Tokyo Organizing Committee CEO Toshiro Muto said that the games next year may not be conventional. I saw that, and I was like, what does that mean? But of course, they're not giving any details. No, but, but the only, he did specifically mention that the torch relay was probably a target. Right, they talked about that in the last, uh, Thomas Bach mentioned that in the last IOC press call, where somebody asked, are you going to cut down the torch relay? And he said, everything's on the table in terms of cost cutting. And that seems like an obvious one. Like it's nice, but it's not central to the mission. Right, right, right. So Rich Perlman, our friend over at the Sports Examiner, wrote about the frugal games. And Michael R. Payne, who who was the first IOC marketing TV director, and now he's a strategist and helps people with their uh, sports strategy stuff. So he retweeted this sports examiner quote talking about how, uh, well, Rich had written a, a column talking about how the LA 1984 
organizers were the ultimate in frugality. So Michael Payne said, Late in the day to pull this one off, the all-powerful Dentsu has generated record local sponsorship revenues, like LA at the time, but also created budget expenditures many times over previous organizing committees. Take Torch Relay as example, managed by Dentsu at 300% of the normal budget. Oh, wow. And you would think that, you know, Tokyo is a smaller country, just square miles, Mm -hmm. than a lot of other choices, like Sochi in Russia, Mm -hmm. where they really brought that torch all over the place. You would think it would be a less expensive torch relay just because your miles logged. Yeah, but maybe they made it more elaborate. Yeah, more elaborate. And I can't remember if it was a longer relay or not, like days wise. Right. Because the, the torch relay does seem to be getting farther and farther out. Right. So, yeah, more elaborate. Who knows? I mean, that's rough, but uh, they, they do have to cut. Yeah, simplify and we'll... And we may still have to just have fewer people in general. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Again, what the, we don't know. But it just seems like that's such an easy place. It, you know, yeah, because that's the place where it's going to affect the least amount of people. It'll it'll affect the torchbearers, which, you know, if you were selected to carry the torch, that would be a bummer if suddenly, oh, we're not going to have that anymore. Or maybe they have the same number of torchbearers because they already have the same number of torches available. Or, you know, maybe just... they double up. You know, oh, you, yeah, you, you could do like that. The two, you together run with the torch. Because yeah, otherwise it's going to be walk two meters, hand off to the next person, <laughs> walk another two meters. Yeah, I think doubling up would make a lot more sense. That would. We'll let them, you know what? We will send them the idea. <laughs> Do it. It'll be Pear's Torch Relay, <laughs> a new event. Not to be confused with Torch Relay Dance. And so and what did they do? Frizzles? That would be amazing. You have to twizzle with a torch as opposed to throwing it up in the air. <laughs> Charlie White, we have some training to do. Come back to Tickflaston. Well, I, we we got we got work to do now, so I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. We would love to hear how you're doing during this pandemic and how not having the Olympics this year has affected you. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta. And keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Call us 208-FLAME-IT.